The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. On the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish, And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand... How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven to the four thousand, How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are in kindergarten through fifth grade and you would like to go to children's church, please join our volunteers by the Kids Zone sign. If it's your child's first time in children's church, please go with them so they can be checked in. Thanks, Paige. Good morning. If you're new here, let me add my welcome to you. My name is Jared. I'm also on staff here at Restoration Southside. We are so glad that you're here with us this morning. You may or may not know it, but it's a big week. On Friday, Lord willing, I'm supposed to sign our name on the dotted line and purchase this facility. So thank you for your generosity. Uh, We told you about purchasing this facility on August 15th, and it is March 6th, and because of your generosity and your pledging and your prayers, uh, God is about to do the impossible, and so thank you. Uh, It's such 
a privilege and it's so much fun being your pastor. Um, when we call you to do crazy, impossible things, you put your faith in Jesus and you join us. And we're about to hit a very big milestone on Friday. So I will definitely let you know when it happens. You'll probably hear me uh, shout for joy from wherever you are in the city. Um, and I'll put it on Facebook or Instagram or something so you can celebrate with me. And don't worry, we are going to have the greatest party South Broad has ever seen. Uh, we're still scheduling that. We're gonna, it'll be a party with, uh, for kids and bouncy houses and food trucks and dancing. And we'll do that at some point uh, in between March and April and May. We're going to put it our third birthday as a church combined with the purchase of the facility. We're going to invite all of our neighbors and we're going to celebrate right. <clears throat> so... I'll keep you posted. Um, if for a half second, when she started to read this, when Paige started to read, you said, whoops, we already did this text. I get it. <laughs> but we didn't. You're thinking that because Mark has just had us do the feeding of the 5,000, and then there's this spiritual, sorry, there's this physical opening of the ears. And you're like, wow. And then now we get to the feeding of the 4,000, and there's going to be this spiritual unveiling opening of the ears. And he has laid these side by side, so we'll see a couple of things. First of all, just the power and compassion of Jesus for his people. And then you also see just how easy it is for his people to doubt his provision. And yet you see God provide anyway. And so uh, with all that said, uh, I'm sure the disciples just hate being in this boat at this point. <laughs> this boat is only an opportunity for them to feel embarrassed um, but we're going to join with him. So let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? It's easy for me to laugh at the disciples, to kind of smirk. How do they still not get it yet? And yet, Father, as I look at my own life, all of the times that you've provided for me. That you've picked me back up. You've dusted me off. You've forgiven me. You've sustained me through dark nights. All of the time that you've shown up for me. And one new bump in the road, and I become an atheist all over again. Father, rather than laugh at the disciples, would you allow us to learn from them? Everyone in this room is here with a sense of their inadequacy. Would you feed your people as you've done so many times before? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I have permission to tell you this story. When you hear me say I have permission to tell you this story, it's normally because I had to go and check and ask. Uh, a lot of times I just tell you a story because I think it'll be okay, but this is one of those stories that I needed to go <laughs> ask just to be sure. But this story is about Erin taking college math her freshman year of college, and she, like myself, uh, is not a math wizard. We're more English writing, thinking types, and not so much with the math. In fact, I parted ways with mathematics my 10th grade year, and I broke up with math, and I said, I don't want to see you anymore, and don't call me. I'm not going to take your calls. Aaron had to wait until her freshman year of college to part ways with math. 
And she remembers she was paying close attention. She was taking notes because she wanted this class to be over with. And then if she did well enough, she'd never have to think about it again. She was taking notes and she was asking questions as the class went by. And finally, after the class, still having no idea what the concepts were, she walked up to the teacher and said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And they're like, yeah, sure. And she's like, do you think you can find another way to say what you just said? Because I'm not sure I understood any of it. And he leaned back and he's like, no, I don't think so. I think that's as clear as I can possibly make it. Erin decided two things that day. She and math were going separate ways forever. And that that teacher should not be teaching mathematics. The reason that I tell you that is that we've all had this sense at some point when as clear as something has been made, we still just can't quite get it. We can't quite wrap our arms around it. We don't quite fully know what's going on. And that's where we find the disciples this morning. They've been watching Jesus so closely over the last years. They've been seeing him show compassion and provide and meet need. And they're watching so closely and they just don't seem to get it. And instead of laugh at them, we can learn from them because you've been in that place too. You've been in a place where you've thought, there's no way that we're going to get out of this. There's no way we'll make it through. There's no way God's still listening. There's no way God still cares. There's no, there's no reason to believe that things will get better from here. And yet you're still here to learn the lesson again and again that God's provision is real and it matters and it'll sustain you even when the path isn't clear. Just like Aaron, just like the disciples, we need to learn these lessons again and again and again. So let's learn them together. First of all, look at Jesus' compassion for these crowds. Look with me in verse 1 and 2. Jesus' compassion for the crowds. In those days when again, let's see Mark, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. Some people have thought that this text is it's, it's a hiccup. It's, it's an echo, meaning the... Some people thought that he had healed 5,000, and then some people had really thought he'd healed 4,000, but it's really just one story, and it's just a couple of different renderings of it. But we know, if you look closely at the text, there's lots of differences. Where the miracle took place, in, in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, in Jewish territory, or over here in the Decapolis. Who it was for, largely Jews or a mixed crowd? how much bread they had, how much bread they gathered up. There's lots of reasons to see that this is actually two separate miracles. But what's the same is Jesus' compassion. When Jesus came upon the first crowd, they were there for one day and not three days. Jesus comes upon the first crowd and he sees them as as sheep without a shepherd. It's probably because their light-colored clothing spread out all over a hill and Jesus sees them as like, these are people, sheep without a shepherd. And then now he sees these people and they've been sitting there listening to his teaching for three days. And he has compassion on them. He says he feels it for them. 
He demonstrates a concern for their walk home. He doesn't want them to go and pass out. The reason that we pause here on Jesus' compassion, why pause on Jesus' emotional life? Because it could be from the outside, you could think, well, Jesus came to be the Savior of sinners. Jesus came to go toe-to-toe with Satan and with sin and with death. And he is on that path and he's marching towards the cross and he's marching towards the empty tomb and he doesn't have time for his people's needs. He doesn't have time to feel for hungry people or for women who are bleeding for 12 years or for people who have demons that need to be cast out. He's he's too important for that. But we see Jesus time and time again slow down and meet personal stories and needs. And the reason that I tell you that is that you could, from, from what you know about God, with everything that he's done in Christ, the forgiving of sin, the, the bringing of the heavens and the earth, in Revelation 21, all that he is going to do, you could conclude, God doesn't have time for little old me. God doesn't have time for my story. There's no way Jesus has compassion for me. Friends, I get that. I felt that way before. But here we see Jesus. The disciples are constantly trying to take a break and Jesus constantly gets re-engaged in meeting daily personal need. He is not too busy for you. He is not so important that he doesn't let himself get interrupted which means, yes, he cares about your soul and your salvation and that one day that you'll be with him in heaven, but he also cares about your job and your marriage and your parenting and your loneliness and your miscarriage and your infertility and your loss. The Bible says, cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. The reason that I tell you that is because it'll always be the God who's way off. If it's just about your salvation, if it's just about forgiveness, if it's just about heaven, it'll be the God that you appreciate from afar, but he's way off. But what if he's this God that you can be daily dependent on, that you can walk with and wrestle with and have him love on you and comfort you and assure you? What if he's way more interested in you than you believe him to be? That's the story of the Bible. Jesus' incessant need to meet his people. To encourage them, to comfort them, to to pick them up. Jesus has compassion for you. You personally, in your story. And he has power to do something about it. He says this, And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? You figure the next line is Jesus is going to go, You've got to be kidding me. Really, fellas? That's not what he says. And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took seven loaves. And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that they should also be set before them. And they ate, and they were satisfied. And they took up broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. 
So not only does he have compassion for you in your personal need, he has power to do something about it. He has power to do something about it. When you call out to God, you are not calling on somebody who can't help you. You are calling to someone who has muscles. You are calling to someone who has power. You are calling on someone who loves you. He can meet your need and he has power to do the impossible. I told you, you brand new baby church, on August 15th that we had an opportunity to purchase this facility. And on Friday, we will close on it. You think that's because of me? Or do you think that's because a group of people fell on their knees and cried out to God and said, we want to be here for a long time. We want to change the city. We want to help the lost and the little and the lonely. We want to be a blessing right here in the middle of things, God. And we can't do it on our own. But if you move, maybe God, if just you move, maybe something amazing can happen. And on Friday, I'll sign a $4.2 million contract for a baby church. Our problem isn't that we have over-considered his power. It's that we haven't even scratched the surface of it. And not only that, he has the disciples participate in the feeding. I love that. Jesus could have just gone, taken the bread, given thanks, broke it, and then it had gone like, I don't know, in Aladdin, or just all the bread just starts, and people come by and get it. But instead, he has the disciples walk it out to these 4,000 people. What's the point in that? It's because he wants these, these guys to understand, though they're woefully inadequate and they are seriously in a deficit, amazing things can happen if you're going back to the right person. And that's what he wants us to see. We as God's people will be doing the feeding. It's our job now. It's that we take Jesus, we take him and his grace to those who so badly need it, some who know they need it and some who don't. And we take it to them. And as we're going, we're thinking, I am totally inadequate to being doing the one doing this. And I don't have, I don't have the personality for this. and I don't have the gifting for this. I, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I don't even really know what I'm offering. And Jesus says, exactly. When people who are woefully inadequate and in deficit come to him, amazing things can happen. The disciples get to watch him. Now remember, they've done this with the 5,000, the disciples walking the food out and walking the food back. Now they've done this with the 4,000 and walking the food out and walking the food back. And remember, we're coming, we're at Mark 8 and we're coming to Mark 15. Can you imagine? The next time Jesus has breads in his hand, they're like, hey, hey, everybody watch this. And he takes it and he gives thanks and he breaks it and he divides it up. They're all sitting there holding their breath going, something amazing is about to happen. It's a hint of what the Lord's Supper is for us, is that when we're taking the Lord's Supper, we're supposed to see that these are the same hands who, who thanks God and then breaks the bread and gives that out and says, my people are hungry and I will feed them. 
That's actually why you come here to church. It's why you listen to sermons. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper is because God knows his people are hungry. You're hungry and you're weary. That life is hard. That you're discouraged. That you've lost. That things are difficult. And he says, come and be fed. Be encouraged. That's what he's doing here with them. And then you see that the, the crowds were satisfied in verse 8. They fill up these baskets. They fill up all of these baskets. And they take the broken pieces left over and seven baskets full. I know you hear baskets and you think of like a, like a, a little laundry basket. The word here used is something that you could put, put a grown man inside. That's how big they are. People have hidden in these baskets throughout other portions of Scripture. So not only will God meet your need, He'll meet your need in abundance. It won't just be maybe He'll make us feel a little better. It's that He'll get us all the way there. Again, friends, Jesus can meet our needs and minister to us in abundance. But He is not impressed for those whose agenda is set against him, whose agenda is set against him. If you would, look with me in verse 11. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, asking from him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them and got into the boat again and went to the other side. Jesus shows impatience for those who have an agenda against him. Now look, if you come to Jesus humble and unsure, and you're saying, help me, I think, I think you can meet my need, but I'm, I'm not sure, help me. He answers those all the time. But with you come with an agenda that I know that you're not who you say you are, Jesus, and I can prove it, he'll ignore you every time. The reason that I tell you that is that everyone comes in through the same door. And that door is down on your knees with your hands held out empty saying, I am bankrupt. I am bankrupt. Whether you have been here and a Christian for your whole life or whether you've just become a Christian last week, we're all coming in through the same door on our knees saying, I am bankrupt. I think, God, maybe you can do something in my life and my struggles with this difficulty. I think maybe you can. And I'm betting on you. That's the same door we all come in through. It's the gospel. It's the gospel for those of you who know Christ. It's the gospel for those of you who don't. There may be some of you out there who are sitting and thinking, okay, we've done this gospel thing. When are we going to move on to the next topic? Friends, I'm going to disappoint you. There is no next topic. It's the gospel again and again and again. As some have said, it's not just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A through Z of the Christian life. It's God's fondness for you in Christ Jesus. So much that he would forgive you, that he would set you free, that he would make you one of his own, and then he would sustain you so that you can join the mission. But if you feel like, I don't know, I've done a lot of bad things. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've been pretty angry at God. I've been pretty aloof. I'm not sure that he's going to want me around. 
It's that sense of inadequacy that you should use to let it drive you straight to your knees and be in the same place that the rest of us are. But for those of us who are like, no, God can meet me on my terms or not at all, don't hold your breath. There's only one way to encounter Christ, and it's on your knees and with your head bowed, and He will lift you up. See, the Pharisees, they don't believe He is who He says He is. And they just want to have Him proved wrong. And Jesus then uses the Pharisees to talk with, about bread. Here's what He says. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And He cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. Come on. <laughs> Fellas. But Jesus is using this as an object lesson to say that, you know how yeast, you only need a little bit of it in bread and it takes over the whole thing? He's saying that's the danger of unbelief. Unbelief of the Pharisees, unbelief of Herod. You just need a little bit and it begins to affect the entire thing. For the Pharisees, it was that the kingdom is for the Jews and for rule followers. That, that that little bit of untruth then begins to take over and ruin the entire batch that they only thought that the kingdom, that the faith was worth for rule followers. And friends, if we're, not, if we're not careful as the church, I promise you, hear me, if we're not careful as the church, we will communicate backhandedly the exact same thing. This kingdom is not for rule followers. This kingdom is not for insiders. Grace is not for good people. If it's for the good people, then it's not grace at all. If you need grace, you cannot look down on others who need grace. It's a non sequitur. You can't say, I need grace, just not as much as those people. Or I need forgiveness and restoration, just not as bad as those people need forgiveness and restoration. We all come through the same door. That's one of the, the great sadnesses of the church in the world is that people, if you ask them, that, what about the church? Can the church help at all? And they will tell you that the church is superior and the church makes them feel small, that the church is for judgmental people. Do you realize how disastrous that is. Of all people, the church should know what it's like to not believe. Of all people, the church should know what it's like to struggle. Of all people, the church should know what it's like to say they're not going to do something and then do it again. But instead, we're shouting out at the street, shouting out, you need a doctor, you need a doctor. But make sure you get yourself cleaned up before you come in. Make sure you get yourself pretty well healed before you come in. Do you see the irony? If we think people need a doctor who we ourselves need, we should have the most needy, messy, broken people in this room, just like we are. How can they get to the doctor if they have to get better before they come to him? Grace is not for good people. 
What if the unbelievers in this city, the unbelievers in your workplace, the unbelievers in your life and in your neighborhood, they knew that you understood what it was like not to believe. You understood what it was like to struggle. You understood what it was like to be a mess. How much more human does that make you to them? How much more helpful does that make you to them? Friends, you can either make it on your own or you can't and you need help. I'm in the, I can't make it on my own. I need help. That is compelling. That is compelling to tell a group of people who's lonely and discouraged and confused and saying, man, I get that. Come join us. Come join the group of the weary and the lonely and the confused because Jesus makes it a little better. Grace is not for good people. The Pharisees didn't learn that lesson. And he also mentions Herod here. He mentions Herod. He says, watch out of the leaven of the Pharisees. That's graces for insiders and graces for the Jews and for the rule followers. But also the leaven of Herod. The leaven of Herod is, or Herod uses his strength for the sake of self. Herod uses his strength for the sake of self. Remember, Herod is this king who has considerable power. And instead of using it for the sake of others, he uses it to please himself. And Jesus says that's not what the church is for. Jesus comes in weakness for the sake of others. Herod came in strength for the sake of self. He's like, come and join a better kingdom. But he's like, just a little bit of this can ruin the whole batch. So what are the dangerous influences around you? Maybe it's the religion of Jesus plus. Jesus plus my holiness. If you have Jesus and all the work that he's done, plus my good faith efforts in being holy, that together is good religion. No. Well, for some of you, you're like, I don't even have any holiness. It's Jesus plus my shame. All of Jesus has done, plus just how bad I feel about this. I'm really serious about this, Jesus. I'm really beating myself up. And your goodness plus my shame really ought to get me the whole way there. You see, we all add subtle little influences in. Our shame or our holiness or our theology. Or maybe it's me and Jesus and my Bible and I don't need the church. Just all these little subtle influences. Maybe, for those of you who don't know Jesus, maybe it's just that you can do it on your own. Maybe that there's no universal truth. Maybe that there is no God or no hell. There's these voices around us. But there's also these voices within us. Meaning, the voices aren't just around you about Jesus is for good people. Jesus is for strong people. The voices also come inside, from inside. Listen, verse 16. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. These guys have seen so much. This is just in Mark. Listen to this. Jesus heals a man with an evil spirit, then heals many people, then heals a man with leprosy. Then Jesus heals a paralyzed man. Then Jesus eats with sinners. 
Then Jesus heals the man with the shriveled up hand. Then Jesus calms the storm. Then Jesus heals the demon-possessed hand. Then Jesus heals the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. Then Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. Then Jesus feeds 5,000. Then Jesus walks on water. Then Jesus heals a Gentile woman's daughter who's been spiritually oppressed by a demon. Then Jesus heals a deaf mute. And then Jesus feeds 4,000 people. And his disciples get with him in the boat and they're talking about bread. They've been taught so much about Jesus' love and compassion, so much about his activity on their behalf, and they get into the boat and they're worried about bread. Somehow all of this good thing that God has done, and then when it comes to one brand new thing, they become atheists all over again. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you've seen Jesus move powerfully in your life to rescue you, to grant you forgiveness, to give you a new life, and then, and then you've seen him drag you through very difficult things, blessing you and encouraging you and putting you back together. And you finally feel whole, and then you step into a new season of life, and bam, you're knocked over again, and you become an atheist. You see, we laugh at the disciples, but we're just like them. Maybe this is the last time you'll love me. Maybe, this, maybe you're done taking care of me now, God. My son, Cohen, who is my fifth and final child, he's learned memory verses, not from his dad, but from his school teacher. And he's got this one down, Psalm 56.3. He says, when I am afraid... I will put my twist in you. And he's learned to apply it even at night. So we'll put them down and we'll turn on their nightlight, but then turn off the overhead light. And he gets nervous. And we'll hear him quietly whispering to himself, when I am afraid, I will put my twist in you. You see, Cohen's figured out that you can't just think it, you can't just know it. You actually have to march these realities down into your life. That when you're struggling with loss or disappointment or frustration, that when you don't know what to do next, you can say, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. You don't have to list, but if you don't want. You see, he's reminding himself what he knows to be true. That's sort of what coming to church is. That's sort of what the preached word is. That's sort of what the table is, is that when we are afraid, there is someone who will feed us. There is someone who will meet our needs. There is someone who will encourage us. So he calls the guys and says, do you not get this yet? It's hard to see. They've been following for three years that long laundry list of things that I just told you they've watched Jesus do, and they still don't get it. Well, first, I want you to let that remind you that when someone around here, around us, or in your life still doesn't get it, you can understand that. It's hard to believe. It's hard to get it. They should feel our empathy. They should feel like, oh, man, we get it. We get that it's hard to believe. One of the new teachings of the church is that it used to go in such a way as that you would, you would 
believe the same things. And once you believed the same things in the church, then you would finally belong. And what it really shows that what Jesus is doing here is that he makes these guys belong feel belong and welcomed and a part of it long before they ever believe. And what if our church could be like that? Oh, you're welcome here with us. We don't care if you believe what we believe. We want to love you. We want to know you. We want to celebrate you. We want to walk with you. You you belong here. Long before we would ever expect them to believe. It takes a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit for someone's eyes to be open and ears to be unstuck. And maybe you've never had that. Maybe you've never had the Holy Spirit of God open your eyes and open up your ears and transform your heart. And if that's you, I would encourage you at some point, fall on your knees, figuratively or literally, and say, I want to believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I want to believe. Just trust me on it. That he'll meet you in ways that you couldn't have possibly imagined. Because we who trust in Jesus keep coming back the same way. Falling on our knees, holding out our hands as bankrupt and saying, I'm trying to believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. We're all here in this room, every single one of us, for the same reason. Inadequacy, coupled with devastating desperation, coupled with an encounter with Jesus of the Bible. It's the only thing we have to offer you. Inadequacy, coupled with devastating desperation, coupled with an encounter with Jesus of the Bible. What does Jesus give them as, as a tool to take their inadequacy and their desperation. They still don't get it. What does Jesus give them as a tool? He tells them to remember. Look with me here. And Jesus said to them, aware of this, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you not remember? Remember, what he's saying is, fellas, you can conclude in the present how I feel about you based specifically on the past history of me taking care of you and loving you. You can conclude in the present that I'm with you because of the past history of me taking care of you and loving you. Remember, they have this litany of things that he's done for God's people. And he's saying, when you struggle in the present, you look back to the past When our twins arrived, they're four and a half now, but when they were babies, for four and a half months, every three hours, we'd get together, warm up milk, grab diapers, grab new swaddles, and while we were doing these things, the babies would scream in our face, It's literally like you've never fed them before in their life. And three hours ago, you did the same thing. And in your darker moments, you're like, but in your tender moments, you're like, for four months, every three hours, I have gotten up and taken care of you. Why would you conclude anything different about right now? 
And that's what Jesus is saying to do, is as you look back for years and generations and decades and centuries and millennia, I have cared for you. I have met with you. I have loved you. I have walked with you. I have sacrificed for you. I have now given my spirit for you and sustained you. I have met your needs through the church, through the preached word, through God's people. For all of this time I've done this. Why would you doubt me now? That's what we're like. We have to look back, to look forward. When this church was just starting out, we were trying to rent our very first bit of space, our very first space. So we got lawyers and realtors and and got everything together and put money down and signed our terms so that we would owe over the next several years $232,000 of rent. And a contractor went in and looked at the space and realized that it was unfit for this many people in the room. And we had a $232,000 contract that we couldn't use. And the leaders fell on their knees and pleaded with God that he would bring another, another party in, that they could re-rent it from us and let us off the lease so that, we could be, so that we could be free of it. And within two months, another party came in, rented it, and let us off the lease. We actually had to sign something. It's called an execution of sublease termination. And I'm telling you, an execution of sublease termination, I had Elizabeth frame it, and it sits on my desk. You know why? Because when we were $232,000 in the hole and I didn't know what I was doing, God moved. And when I look at this sign, it reminds me that in the past, God has had my back. Why would I conclude something different now in the present? It's a sweet memory as we close on a new facility this week that God has had our backs. You've experienced that in your own life things that you thought you would never make it through, things that you thought would be the end of you, that it would absolutely topple you. And now as you look back, you realize you're still here. And not just you personally, but us as Christians. We've seen Jesus come and give his life and sacrifice, that he would kill death, that he would raise up, that he would give us his spirit, that he would meet our needs ongoingly. And so when you're struggling now in the present, you look back into the past and said, God is always doing the impossible to care for me. Why would I forget that now? Friends, rather than laugh at the disciples, we get to smile with them. We get to learn with them. We get to look back in order to move forward. Let's pray. Father, we all have Ebenezer's in our story, things that remind us of when you showed up. And yet we all tend to forget that you did. We pray that you would allow this group of people, washed by your Spirit, to think of the times in their redemptive history life with Jesus and in their own story, where they thought you wouldn't show up and you did.
And would you use that to bring them so much comfort right here in the present, even unsure about their future? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Story where they thought you wouldn't show up and you did. And would you use that to bring them so much comfort right here in the present, even unsure about their future? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.